The 2022 IAAF conference talked a lot about unity, talked a lot about the challenges that the aftermarket is facing, and brought people together for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic hit. I'm Phil Curry, and this is the Auto Repair Focus podcast. It's been a year of challenges. The cost of living crisis has dominated the news. There's been a sales drop in the new car market. Drivers are holding onto their cars for longer, and that's causing a rise in the UK car park age. Alongside this, there's been challenges to the MOT and worries about a skill shortage in the aftermarket. But one thing can combat all of this. Unity. And that was evident at the IAAF conference 2022. This was the first conference to take place since 2019, the first in-person event, not a webcast, but people physically getting together to sit, listen to presentations and interact with each other, coming together again. Unity is strength and the aftermarket right now needs strength more so than ever before. It has an opportunity to lead the automotive industry, possibly for the first time in its existence, since COVID-19 has caused a lot of issues around the automotive market. But to do so, the aftermarket needs to work together to promote itself better, to look outwards and bring more people into it from a skill set, to be able to challenge legislation and ideas from government, and to take advantage of changes in driver ownership behaviour mainly brought about by cost of living crisis. All of these were in evident at the IAAF conference 2022, with speakers including Neil Patamore, Quentin Lehesset, Julian Muir and Matt Cleveley, to name but a few, talking about what the aftermarket is facing, what the industry is facing and how it can be faced. It is not easy, but by coming together and by showing solidarity through unity, it can be done. Mark Field, IAAF Chief Executive, pointed this out by talking about UK AFCAR, which was formed in 2021. UK AFCAR is a remarkable achievement. It is the coming together, orchestrated by IAAF, of associations and organisations to share common goals and campaign together on matters affecting UK aftermarket businesses. From MOT to block exemption, I'm proud of the work that we've achieved. I'm proud of the work UK AFCAR did in August when we submitted our response, the largest of any association to the Competition and Markets Authority's consultation on block exemption. The larger that we can become as a federation, the more we can play an even bigger role in a post-Brexit Britain, providing input to policymakers and giving a voice to the industry when it comes to new legislation. This last point is key, new legislation. There is still work being done on the new motor vehicle block exemption rules. There is also work to be done on electrification in the UK. Don't forget, the aftermarket is having to look at an electric vehicle future, which we'll talk more about a little later on. But ultimately, the call is this. We need to work together as an industry to make sure that the aftermarket survives and thrives. It can do. COVID-19 changed the landscape of the automotive industry. And following on from that, supply crisis in the new car market has meant people holding onto vehicles for longer and those people need to get their cars serviced. 
but we need to make sure that they can get that done competitively, they can get that done with the right parts, and that they can get that done with a skilled technician, and there needs to be plenty of those around. For all of that to happen, the aftermarket really needs to look at itself and think, not how can we follow on from the automotive industry, but how can we lead? Now the IAAF wants to do this with garages in mind, not just suppliers, but the people who are actually out there fixing the cars and using the tools, the parts, the suppliers, the software that suppliers are offering, as Field elaborated on. The next big area of development for IAAF is our garage section. They will become much more a part of the Federation going forward. The reason for this is that everything we do, everything you do, from lobbying to networking and, and, and much more, is so important to garages. And we want to bring them closer together, particularly as we look at campaigns such as right to repair. We're going to offer garages something different, a greater insight and dialogue into our sector, into the supply chain. And in doing so, we're going to bring it closer together. We'll enjoy a greater presence at Auto Mechanic of Birmingham, and we'll work to ensure the IWF garage membership benefits from a fresh approach benefiting from more information and access to our membership. Field concluded by suggesting that the aftermarket has an opportunity to emerge from the shadows and cause some disruption. And I fully believe that statement. Since the COVID-19 pandemic took hold, and even since it started relaxing, I have firmly believed that the aftermarket has the opportunity to lead. Drivers are holding onto cars. Cars need servicing. Cars are not being sold. The aftermarket, therefore, has the position to take parts from OEM suppliers and increase sales and increase awareness of the fact that these parts are available and that people need to get their cars serviced. So, no longer should the aftermarket be led by the automotive industry. It should be led by itself. Or, it could be controlled by someone else. Now, that's a point that Neil Patamore IAAF and UK AFCAR technical director made in his presentation, who controls the aftermarket. He went on to talk about motor vehicle block exemption regulations, about in-vehicle data, and about how car makers are coming into the aftermarket as software suppliers. UK aftermarket currently, and has been for the last 20 years, since 2002, um, very much supported by legislative acts regulations or directives, particularly regulations. And that's continued after Brexit because the UK still follows uh, type approval legislation and motor vehicle block exemption, which was emanating from Brussels. Now, the UK adopted block exemption when it left the European Union as a result of Brexit. But this was always going to expire on the 31st of May 2023. Now, the EU has already developed an extended block exemption to run till 2029. But of course, the UK is not part of this decision anymore and needs to bring in its own order. The problem is, there's also a lot of other legislation that the EU created that the UK needs to develop for itself or drop or bring in for new reasons. Now... Patamore added that one of the problems around block exemption is that quite often the European Commission would simply let things happen, would develop things and let them run and run and not really have an idea of what was going on or the member states would not have an idea of what was going on. And the UK as a member state at the time was one of those. So now the country has 
to develop its own legislation in its own way without actually understanding it completely. That's a problem, especially as block exemption expires on the 31st of May 2023. We're now in December. There's just over five months until this deadline. Now, the Competition and Markets Authority has made recommendations for a motor vehicle block exemption order, and that is being considered by the government. But still, it's quite last minute, especially as the aftermarket needs to ensure that it has access to fair competition when it comes to the automotive industry. So, who controls the aftermarket? Ultimately, the legislators, because they set the criteria. Why is that important? Very simply, we're all here to provide competitive choices to consumers. If they didn't want what we as the aftermarket offered, they would just go to the main dealers. But way over 70% don't. They come to the aftermarket. And that's what we need protecting. One of the issues the aftermarket faces is that vehicle manufacturers have directly as well as indirectly entered the aftermarket as service providers. Let's look at the BMW incident earlier this year where they announced subscriptions for heated seating via over-the-air updates. Telematics now allow vehicle manufacturers to gather data in ways they've never been able to do. They're also able to sell services, subscription services. Believe me, over-the-air updates for heated seating are only the tip of the iceberg. But the fact is that no matter what car leaves the dealership, it may not be the same car that comes into the aftermarket. But Telematic doesn't just work as vehicle manufacturers sending data to the car for a subscription service, it can work the other way. And all of a sudden, data through the OBD port is not as valuable as data through Telematics. It also means that car makers can sell services based on the data. For example, if you drive at long distance every year, they can offer you a service package at their dealership because they know the mileage that you do. Whereas for the aftermarket, that mileage is only recorded when the car comes in. Nine times out of 10, only for the MOT. So there are challenges in competition. And this is something that motor vehicle block exemption really needs to iron out because the balance of competition is changing all the time. And it's something that the UK government not only needs to recognise, it needs to get on top of and get on top of quickly. Because all of a sudden the OBD port may not need to be closed off to garages as has been the threat in recent years. It may just become redundant anyway. And to be honest, what's the point of a car maker developing the OBD if it's not being used by the car maker. Mobility as a service changes the marketplace because it changes who owns and runs that vehicle. So I, maybe stupidly or old fashioned, I own my own vehicle. Many other people don't, at least. Mobility as a service has an opportunity to change vehicle ownership. Now, no longer will you just own a car, you may lease it, you may just hire one for a couple of hours, so on and so forth. And car ownership, let's face it, is expensive, especially more so with the cost of fuel going up. But it does present a different type of challenge to the aftermarket. Now, as Neil Patmore pointed out during the IAAF conference, one of the biggest car leasing companies, Arvel, in France, was recently bought by another large car leasing company, one of the biggest in Europe, Volkswagen. You can see where this is going. 
Car makers are increasingly getting involved in mobility as a service simply because they're not selling as many cars as they used to because attitudes are changing. Therefore, they want to get involved at another level, leasing, renting, subscription services, so on and so forth. The problem comes when it's time to get these cars serviced. Now, for starters, they're being used by multiple different people. Some of them are anyway. So servicing patterns will need to change and adapt and vary. But if the car manufacturer is getting involved in servicing, they're going to want the car to go to their franchise dealer network rather than the independent aftermarket. So again, this is a challenge for the industry and it's something that the independent aftermarket needs to be aware of. Making deals with local dealerships, with bigger networks, with garage servicing equipment. Now on auto Repair Focus, we recently spoke about the Scion, which is a car being produced by Sono Motors, a solar-powered car of sorts anyway, and you can read more on autorepairfocus.com. Just search for Sono Motors. But as a manufacturer, they agreed a deal with the Bosch aftermarket garage network simply because they are not looking to set up their own dealership network. They'll be selling their cars online, and therefore they need someone to get them serviced. And this deal takes place in Germany and it's very sketchy at the moment because the Scion is on thin ice. But the fact is there's opportunities out there for the aftermarket to take if they can take them. But therefore new car sales are going to start waning even more than they are now. Mobility as a service comes in. The aftermarket needs to focus on what it knows and it knows well, which is existing car technology, new car technology for electric vehicles for those who are still buying them. But of course, the used car market is key to the aftermarket. Now, legislation is constantly being developed, constantly being talked about. And Patamore had some thoughts on what would happen if maybe it didn't go as well as we would hope. So what will happen if we get this wrong? Uh, we will see a lot of authorised as well as independent operators really becoming utterly reliant on vehicle manufacturers. We will have similar competencies, similar equipment, perhaps some cost structures. That's maybe not a bad thing in the independent side, but I don't want that control by the vehicle manufacturers. So we want more generic uh, description in, in legislation. We may well end up with a restricted choice of parts because the vehicle manufacturer won't issue a certificate for an aftermarket part unless we can get into that process uh, I described from UNECU. And this is the most worrying part if we don't get this right. The vehicle manufacturer will control who repairs that car using what process, what replacement parts, and probably what hourly rate. It means that they will effectively absorb the profit of the aftermarket into their coffers, to the detriment probably of the consumer as well. And this is exactly what Mercedes were alluding to. So, what are we doing with the government? Well, the government's historic position has always been, let market forces rule. Let the market find a solution for itself. They're still proposing that at the moment to myself and a UKF car colleague about, well, yeah, we know we've got to do it in legislation, but... Can't you find a way of doing it where we don't have to legislate? Even though, as legislators, the legislation says they have to do it. Maybe another story. So the UK government has yet to fully address the intent and maybe also the details of motor vehicle block exemption. 
as well as the European repair and maintenance type approval legislation coming into UK law. So they're playing catch-up. The trouble is some of these are expiring and equally the market's moving. So they need to get a wiggle. Now, following on from Neil's talk, which also talked about, again, the openness of the OBD port and cybersecurity and how legislation really needs to come together to ensure the aftermarket is protected and how the industry needs to come together to ensure it can lobby and have enough power to be heard when legislators are making their decisions. Another legislatory effect, if you like, is the electric vehicle market. Now, the... EU Commission stated that car makers need to, by 2021, have a fleet-wide average emissions target of 95 grams per kilometre. That is something that the industry was happy to meet and was going to meet right up until Dieselgate. Now, diesel cars emit less if no CO2 at all. So, the fleet-wide average was being brought down by the increased sale of diesels. But as soon as diesel gate hit, no, people don't want diesels anymore. And the nitrogen oxide situation means that government started taxing diesels heavily and therefore diesel sales plummeted. From a 2015-16 high of being the most popular fuel type in the UK, diesels currently occupy fourth ahead of only plug-in hybrid vehicles. So electrification is the answer now for that emissions target. Now, 2021 has passed, but for 2025 and 2030, emissions regulations are getting tighter and therefore car makers are not going to be making as many internal combustion engine vehicles. You might think as Brexit has taken place, the UK won't be abound by that. It doesn't matter. Well, the UK is following similar legislature but even if it wasn't, the fact is car makers aren't going to carry on building internal combustion engine vehicles for the UK if they're having to build hundreds and hundreds of thousands of models of electrified vehicles for Europe. We get those as well. The difference being the steering wheels on the other side of the car. So therefore, electric vehicles is a big challenge for the aftermarket, but it doesn't have to be. As said Matt Cleveley, of Cleveley EV, an independent garage and family business that has been dealing with all sorts of automotive queries and issues since it's founded. Now, Matt is a known authority now on the electric vehicle circuit. He's spoken at numerous events. His garage has won numerous awards. So it was great to have him at the IAAF conference 2022 and to hear his thoughts on, on electrification and how he came to thinking about electrification following difficult buying experiences with main dealers. Um, I had a horrendous buying experience with main dealers. They didn't want to sell me an EV. They didn't even want to acknowledge that EV existed at that point. I just wanted to develop my own skill set, learn about the new technologies that were coming into our trade and be able to offer another service to my customers that may come through the door before I lose them all together um, to somebody who, who will look after that type of technology. There's an opportunity here. If the main dealers aren't going to be the ones that talk to, um, to prospective EV owners about maintenance or even try and sell them, then somebody needs to promote EV adoption. And I want to be that person to do it. So I stood up in front of uh, EV owners on Facebook groups, on forums and various things like that and said, 
I'm a technician. I'll look after your car. It can't be that hard, and I'll, I'll find out along the way. And the, the first group to embrace it we were really the Tesla owners of, of the UK. Matt went on to explain about how his business works, especially with electric vehicles. Now, there are some problems, for example, for the high voltage side of things. So getting some of the components in can be tricky. It can lead to long lead times, which of course leaves vehicles on ramps or in workshops for extended periods. And one way of getting around that, Matt said, was to buy in used batteries or older batteries that could be dismantled to replace parts in electric vehicles. And that's going to be something that the independent aftermarket has to consider and think about. Now, electric vehicles are becoming mainstream, so therefore part supplies for them will also become mainstream. But at the moment, they're also likely to be very expensive, so therefore being able to buy in replacement parts through recycled goods is good for sustainability and good for the environment, of course, because some of these used batteries are still good in certain areas but it also means that we're having to look for other supply channels and that's something that Matt is actually doing in finding his own supplies and almost becoming a part supplier in his own right. Now we at Auto Repair Focus believe that technicians really do need to get trained in electric vehicles. Whether they are the future or not that's still open for debate. There's obviously other alternatives as well, such as synthetic fuels and hydrogen. Some may be better than others. But the fact is, people are buying electric vehicles. Whether it's hybrid, whether it's battery electric, whether it's plug-in hybrid, they make up a vast amount of vehicles being sold month on month. Okay, the car park is still predominantly dominated by the internal combustion engine, but things are changing. Now, Matt did say, and one of the things that stood out was this quote. What do we see day to day within our workshop? Um, so cars are cars. They still have steering, suspension, brakes, tyres, things like that. So the Model S is great. It has the, the door handles that pop out. That's quite a lot of EVs have now that just allow for streamlining cutting through the air for efficiencies so they break and need repairing the headlights on model s's break and need repairing suspension evs are heavy they need a lot of suspension components replacement on them um, and with regenerative braking we're seeing brake discs corrode far faster than they're wearing out on petrol and diesel equivalents when I do these kind of talks to the trade um, in front of rooms of technicians, it still surprises me and scares me how many independent garages are just so scared of this kind of technology when a lot of what my workshop does day to day is still just working on the car park. And that's exactly the point. Cars are cars. Now, we did go on to mention a bit more about the Tesla suspension and the fact that it does seem to break quite a lot so there's a, a good opportunity there for independent garages but the point is exactly that cars are cars they still have tires wheels moving components okay fewer moving components than an internal combustion engine vehicle but still some that are going to need servicing and replacing now you can't just rock up and work on an electric vehicle, you need to understand them and to understand them you need to go through the right training. But at the end of the day most of your work on an electric vehicle won't be on the high voltage system, it will be on 
the components that we all know and probably dread brakes suspension tires body components things like that so get trained in electric vehicle technology because the future is not the future anymore it's the present cars are selling and these cars are going to start coming into the aftermarket very soon now after the break we had a presentation from former SAS soldier Robin Horsfall who talked about overcoming adversity and leadership and gave some fantastic insights into his time in the SAS and his life around and after that including the Iranian embassy in London which he was a part of the group who stormed the building to rescue the hostages. We then had lunch and then a keynote speech by economist and business consultant Vicky Price who talked about the current state of the UK economy. She said that, some examples, the tech sector is struggling. Now, why would that matter to the automotive market? Well, there is a huge decline in the number of semiconductors available for the automotive industry, which has been leading to supply issues for new vehicles, which have put pressure on car makers and therefore meant that delivery times are hugely long. Now, Vicky said that the tech sector is struggling with consumers having bought during the lockdowns and the boom not continuing following this. These items, such as semiconductors, are being diverted to automotive, which is going to help the industry in 2023 and onwards. There are global supply chain pressures with standard deviations from average values increasing over the last two years. And the global trade forecast dropped in 2022, but it is predicted to increase by a small amount in 2023. There were forecasts that inflation would get back to target by the end of 2022 as prices stabilised. However, the war in Ukraine changed the picture and that's led to further price increases, further oil increases, energy cost increases, which the cost cap removal hasn't helped, and so on and so forth. Star shortages are also partly to blame for increasing inflation as the OECD unemployment has been falling sharply causing extra headaches for public and private sector organisations. The disruption of COVID-19 hasn't helped this as well. Now, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, revised growth downwards in October on the cost of living concerns and the prospect of even higher interest rates. So there are tough times ahead. We all know this anyway. But it's been noted by organisations, by industry funds, and it's a storm that we are going to have to ride out and see how things happen. Obviously, the country's economy isn't in a good place right now. Whether that will improve over the coming years, we'll have to wait and see. Now, after Vicky, we had Quentin Lehetet, who is head of GPA in the UK, talking about future prosperity. What does the data tell us? Now, his presentation was full of numbers, and they were all very, very good. First of all, looking at the new car market, not just in the UK, but also in Europe. And you can see that the January to October uh, volume are still one third, 30, 33% behind the level of 2019 at the same period. Okay, so that's of course quite an important figure. It looks quite scary. And when you think about numbers, what does it mean? Uh, this year we will probably sell just short of 1.6 million of vehicles. Okay, back in 2019 it was 2.3 million already been decreasing for the last three years, uh, since 2016, but 2.3 million, okay? So 
if you simply look at 2.3 million and 1.6, that's 700,000 vehicles that were not sold or that will not be sold this year. The problem with that is that it's not the first year that we actually don't sold, we are around <coughs> 1.6 million vehicles sold, uh, and therefore uh, that's a big, that starts to add up. Okay? It's been the third year in a row that we are going to be around 1.6 million, which means that uh, Type 3 is 2.1 million of cars that should have been on the market and that are not on the market. So 2.1 million cars are not on UK roads, as they should be. Then the question has to be asked, has the UK's car park dropped by 2.1 million cars? And the simple answer is no. There has been a drop in the UK car park, a very slight drop. We're talking less than a percent here. But the fact is, there are still as many cars on UK roads as there were in days gone by, which means drivers are holding on to their cars for longer. So what does that mean for the average age of the UK car park? Well, ahead it said that it was originally, back in 2019, around 7.9 years average age for a vehicle in the UK. By June of 2024, Jeeper expects that to be 9.5 years and by the end of 2025, it's to have risen to 9.7 years. Now that's because Jeeva doesn't believe that the 2.1 million car deficit will be recovered in that time. Even if new car sales increase, they won't increase to a level to cover the 2.1 million we have lost since 2019. That is their forecast. What does it also mean? It means that 85% of the car park will be over three years, three years or older. But back in 2017, which was the year after the most amazing uh, car sales year in the whole uh, history of the UK, we had almost 2.7 million cars sold in 2016. And that means that the zero to, seven, two, sorry, zero to four years old car park, that was 38% of the car park. In that scenario of 2024, it's only going to be 24%. We lost 14 percent, 14 points, in just seven years. Let's think about that for a second. 85 percent of cars on the road will be three years or older by 2024. So that means that 85 percent of cars on the road will need to enter a garage at least once a year to get an MOT, as Lehetet said in his presentation. So. What we're looking at here is the vast majority of the UK car park needing to come into a garage. And we know from experience that when a car hits three years or older, drivers tend to look more praisingly at the independent aftermarket over franchise dealers. So that means by 2024, there's going to be millions and millions of cars coming into independent garages. And this is a great opportunity for the industry. Now, it does also have some safety implications. The Aging car park means that there are drivers out there who maybe have never owned a car that's older than three years. They may have been trading them in either through leasing or through higher purchase agreements or something along those lines. So they won't have the experience of taking a car from MOT. They won't have the experience of looking after a car to make sure that it is safe for road use. So there's a safety implication there, which means that Garage is also going to have an opportunity to educate drivers to say, well, look, you need to keep an eye on your tyres, which are one of the highest failure rates in MOT. You need to keep an eye on your bulbs. You need to look at the wear on your 
brake pads is by checking through and seeing what's there, keeping an eye on wear indicators, so on and so forth. So yes, safety issues there, but it's an opportunity for the aftermarket as long as it can promote itself in a good, strong way. Lehete also talked about some other challenges in the UK that are facing the independent aftermarket, independent garages. One of which was the potential skills shortage that the automotive industry as a whole, but the aftermarket as well, is facing. Uh, the employee uh, shortage. This is one of the key ones. We did a survey with workshops in, uh, in September, or during the during summer, and we published in, uh, in September. 51% we asked workshop, all type of workshops, 51% of them told us, my key challenge right now for my business is uh, finding qualified staff. That's 51%. The second, uh, the second one is competition, and it was only 12% of workshop that says competition. Okay? So that gives you really the, uh, the impact and the proportion of uh, finding qualified, qualified staff uh, for workshops. According to figures also given by Lehete at the conference from the Office of National Statistics, the ONS, 56% of automotive businesses there said that they are not seeing enough applicants for jobs and job offers. There's quite a gap. 51% of garages saying they can't find enough skilled staff. At a time when the automotive industry is changing, cars are changing and they're becoming more technical and less about engineering. This is a key point because the technician of the future is going to have to look just as much at software as they are at the general wear and tear parts, the moving parts. If we cycle back to what Neil Patamore was saying earlier on about over-the-air updates and in-car apps and applications, there's going to be an opportunity where technicians are going to be involved in coding, even more so than present, because we're going to have to sift through the apps that have been installed in the vehicle. And it's going to be very much like repairing a smartphone or ridding a computer of a virus. So the aftermarket is changing, and we need to be able to say that to potential entrants into the sector. It's not just about engineering. Engineering is a key and important point, but there is so much more. But because there is so much more, there's also the issue of poaching skilled workers from other industries. If we're talking about coding and applications and fixing supercomputers, then the automotive industry is going to be working to take staff and to take potential staff away from the tech sector. All of a sudden, this aftermarket and this automotive industry that was standalone, that had its own values and opinions and great work paths and careers, is on the same level as other industries and popular ones at that, where more children want to go into tech and coding, and we're having to poach them away and saying, well, look, automotive is just as good as this. It's not just about getting dirty underneath a car and covered in brake dust, which I know the industry is more than that anyway. But that's the perception at times. And it's highlighting that, that it's more than this. It's about actually being involved in the tech side of things. Lehet had also talked about part supply and how the difference is that 50%, roughly 50% of independent garages say they can never get the right parts compared to over 65% of franchise dealers, which again, offers the aftermarket an opportunity because they're more likely to be able to get the parts that the vehicle requires rather than having to take a car to a dealership where it's going to be stuck in the garage for a while. 
But then we also got to the challenge of electrification. Now, we're going to go back again to discussion from Matt Cleveley. But Jeeper did uh, look at drivers and interview drivers, those buying electric vehicles, and asked if they'd changed the workshop that they used before they bought their electric vehicle. And you can see that 57% of them say, yes, I changed it. Okay? And when you look into the data, and you can see that those who say they changed, when they went last, is generally a dinner. Okay? It's over 80% of workshop entries of electric cars in volume, not in volume, but in volume, that are, uh, that are being made by franchise dealers, simply because uh, there are not enough people like Matt uh, in, the, in the country yet. Okay? The question that followed is, why did they change? Well, as Quentin said, first of all, they wanted a specialised EV workshop. They wanted someone who had the correct tools, the correct training, the correct diagnostic equipment to be able to work on their vehicles. And they didn't believe that the technician that had their current garage had that training and knowledge. So expertise is key. And if we're talking about 57% of drivers moving away from independent and many of them moving into the franchise dealer network, again, it just highlights the fact that we need to do more as an industry to ensure that we're trained for working on electric vehicles. So overall, the message is a positive one for the aftermarket, but change is coming and we need to be aware of change and we need to embrace change and we need to adapt to change. That's through skills, that's through electrification. But currently, sales of new cars, the aging car park, that's all playing into the aftermarket's hands, or at least it could be, as long as the aftermarket uses that information in the right way. Now, the final presentation today was given by Julia Moore from the Automotive 30% Club. Now, she was there to highlight the benefits of the Automotive 30% Club, what it does, and to talk about how a better gender balance in the industry can benefit all. Now, we can't shy away from the fact that the automotive aftermarket, the automotive industry in a whole, is male-dominated. It has changed in recent years. We've seen a number of, of women promoted to more executive roles, and that's a good thing because I'm sure we can all agree that a diverse workforce from top to bottom reflects not just well on an industry, but is what is actually required and needed and fair in today's society. So what are we? We are a collaborative network of inclusive automotive chief executives and managing directors. You have to be the chief executive or managing director of the business to be a, a member of the club. It's very important to understand we're not a women's network, we're a business leaders network. And of course, because we're an automotive business leaders network, the majority of the members are men. Now, these people, these men mainly, understand the benefit and value of achieving a gender balance. They understand it will make their businesses more profitable. And they know that they personally are responsible for leading any change in their businesses. It's not something to delegate to HR. This is a business leader's priority. Now, the Automotive 30% Club has a target, if you like, of having 30% of executive roles in the automotive industry filled by women. 
Now, it's not a quota, and Muir was very quick to highlight that this is not about just filling roles with women. It's about making sure that the best person for the job is considered at all times. At the moment, she said, we're not probably going to see the person who is the best person for the job because we aren't attracting the talent. There's no attraction for female talent, hardly any females applying. So the best person for the job may not be seen because they're not actually applying for the job. And it's key to think about this for a second because, again, it goes back to the skill shortage and it goes back to the change in tech and electrification and so on and so forth. The automotive industry as a whole has an opportunity to open itself up to a much, much more diverse workforce. There are numerous programs and agendas and companies and bodies all trying to bring more and more young people into STEM and into tech roles and coding and so on and so forth and making it more attractive. The world is changing and it is becoming more diverse and the automotive industry can use this opportunity to attract the right people for the right jobs and then help them grow their careers no matter what. Now you did also add some profitable benefits to businesses that have a more diverse workforce. So talking about the business benefits of gender balance, we do really use uh, as a kind of core piece of research the McKinsey report that's published every year that takes a thousand companies across the globe and assesses where, whether there's a correlation between their gender balance and their profitability. And what they found in the most recent report was that if you're in the top quartile for gender balance, then you're actually likely to outperform your peers profitability-wise by 25%. If you are in the top quartile for gender balance and um, ethnic diversity in your senior roles, then you outperform your peers by 36%. And so it would appear that if you aren't looking towards having a more of a mixture of people in your senior leadership teams, you probably are settling for less at the moment. Now, that's an interesting point. Now, it shouldn't be all about profitability when it comes to inclusion. Obviously, it will help. Uh, it shows that having a diverse workforce will not harm the business. It will improve it. But ultimately, as Muir said throughout her presentation it is about having the right person for the right job and the right person should really be chosen from a more diverse pool of people and we need to encourage people into the industry to be able to do that. It's not about filling quotas, it's about making sure that the automotive industry is acceptable and inclusive of all. And that was really it from the IAAF conference 2022. We talked about the changing legislation, the changing challenges of electrification, the skill shortages, how the UK car park is ageing and how workforces are changing and how opening up to a more diverse workforce can help. Ultimately, it was a talk about togetherness, about making sure that the aftermarket can tackle these challenges, about making sure that we use this time, this time when the new car industry is suffering to highlight both the benefits of the aftermarket to drivers 
and to increase business through doors, be that part supplier, be that garage. 2023 offers the aftermarket a great opportunity for growth. It's just time to make sure that that growth is taken and succeeded with. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 